Triple Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the premier podcast shining light on sex and disability with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Let's shine a bright light on sex and disability together. Connect with me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza, that's A-N-D-R-E-W-G-U-R-Z-A, and use the hashtag DisabilityAfterDark. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. This is the premier podcast, Shining Light on Sex and Disability, Disability After Dark. I, first of all, let's break it down. We have just hit. This is episode number 50. Can we just talk about how fucking exciting that is? I didn't ever think we'd make it to episode 50, and here we are. This is our 50th episode. I am over the moon excited. I can't even believe that we've hit 50. I didn't even think... I honestly, when I started this endeavor, I didn't even think we'd get to episode... Remember when I was saying we made it to episode 30? We made it... That was 20 episodes ago. Holy shit. I want to thank everybody who's contributed to this podcast in some way. From the artwork to the... uh, To the... the, To the people who have put together my... um, I can't speak, I'm so excited. The people who put together the the intro, Chris Sujuchi, uh, people who put together the artwork, Ryan Howe and the new artwork, Emily Emily Gillis, people who did the photos, Paul Jemnicki, um, you, any, anyone who has been a guest on the show, people like Kaylee Trace, people like, there's so many of you, you all know who you are, I love you to bits, Carrie Wade, people who want to be guests, and haven't yet, I promise you, I'll get to you. People like um, Emily Ladau, all of you are amazing. People who have spent their time putting together little ads for me, you're all the best. Anybody who has pledged their hard-earned dollars for this show, thank you all so much. This is episode 50 of such an important show. I'm so proud of it. I'm proud of everybody who listens, everybody who's been vulnerable to be a guest, everybody who has sent me their ideas and said, Andrew, do a show on this. Thank you all so fucking much. I can't thank you enough. I'm going to stop gushing and I'm going to get right to the show. Thanks, guys. Episode 50. Woo! So I think you guys know about this, this about me a little bit. I think you know that while I'm a fame whore, I never really think that my work is actually going anywhere. And I'm always kind of surprised when I get shout outs from people who follow my stuff and who like use my stuff as anchors for their kind of knowledge and, and a, a way to get into the knowledge of sex and disability or to learn more about sex and disability. And so I always love hearing from people who have done that. And I got a shout out just yesterday, actually, from somebody doing work around sex and disability here in Ontario, Canada. And she she's a young sex educator and she runs an awesome YouTube channel called What's My Body Doing? And it's her giving sexual education advice via YouTube. And she's 21, and she gives really quick, concise, informative bits and bites on her YouTube channel about about um, sex, generally. And so she did a shout-out on her one of her latest channels, channel, channels, one of her latest videos, called Sexy Favorites Number 3, the very first thing she talks about is this podcast, Disability After Dark. 
and she says that she loves it, and it's a great um, introduction into sex and disability. And I was, I, I saw the video, and I was so thankful. I was like, wow, I want to come, and I want to have you on my show and talk to you about sex education and disability. And as you guys know, via my Twitter, I've been asking people to what they think about me having an episode on sex education. So I thought that I could talk to Eva about sex and disability um, and ask her what her thoughts around sex and disability are and what she thinks we need to do around sex education to make it stronger around disability. And so uh, we really, we had a really concise, concrete plan to talk about all this stuff, but it really kind of just kind of morphed into a conversation we were having around some of the things we need to do to make sex education more accessible for people with disabilities. And even as I'm saying this part, I'm thinking of five things that I didn't include in the podcast. So there definitely will be a part two of this discussion around sex education and disability for youth um, and different formats. There are things that I should have brought up that I didn't, we didn't talk about. But now that I'm saying it, I'm thinking of five things. So this conversation with Eva... And she only goes by Eva. She doesn't have a last name. She goes by Eva, like Cher. So like Eva from What's My Body Doing was really fun, really informative. We talk a little bit about um, about risk, a little bit about some stuff in the Ontario curriculum for sex education that came out a couple years ago for those in Ontario. For those who are not in Ontario, I'm fairly certain that the sex education curriculums do not encounter disability very often and probably very similar to ours here that and they don't include disability properly so you'll hear us talk about a lot of things around sex education and around how we should have more stuff for the disabled community to draw from so without further ado here's my interview with awesome sex educator and what's my body doing host eva right here on the 50th episode of Disability After Dark, the premier podcast shining light on sex and disability. Hey Eva, how you doing? I'm doing good, how are you? Good, I'm so I'm so excited you're here on the show today. It's really awesome to have you with me for our 50th episode ever. Wow! <laughs> so exciting! I'm I can't believe the Disability After Dark made it to episode 50. What? I'm like so shocked. Much, it's amazing. So much education and fun and good things. And like now I'm like, oh my goodness, how are we going to get to episode 100? Wow. Um, <laughs> but I, I, first of all, I love your stuff. I did a crash course of your, of your <laughs> stuff just before we hit record because I was like, I better know who I'm talking to before I hit record. So... <laughs> Um, your stuff's great, and so why don't you tell the audience, I told them a little bit about who you are, but why don't you reintroduce yourself to us? Sure. Uh, so my name's Eva. I make sex ed YouTube videos. I've been doing it for about a year. They're like bite-sized videos from like two to six minutes. I talk about sexual health, sexuality, relationships. I do favorites videos. Um, I try to make them as inclusive as possible. Um, and because I have kind of like a research background, I try to make them all based in evidence and kind of teach people a little something, throw at them some papers about period sex if I can find them or whatever. But <laughs> yeah, so sex ed videos for about a year and I'm loving it, loving being in the community, all that stuff. It's, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm just so surprised you've only been doing this. <laughs> for a year like it's the way like looking at your youtube videos and your content it looks like you've been doing it for such a long time have you did you do it outside of youtube like prior to deciding to become a youtube star oh <laughs> youtube star um i've been doing sex ed like workshops for a little bit beforehand um but no yeah that's yeah, yeah. Well, I figured last summer I was, like, doing sex ed workshops and, like, writing papers about it and stuff. And I was like, nobody will pay me to teach their kids about sex ed. So I figured YouTube was a good way to go. And I was, like, raised on YouTube from, like, 2009. So it seemed like a natural transition. Wow, that makes me feel kind of old. 
You were raised on YouTube. I I'm from the generation where when YouTube showed up, we were like, "What is this?" Blue. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, that was like grade grade nine. Grade nine started YouTube things. Yeah. Two thousand nine. Okay. Okay. All right. So so I still feel old because oh, definitely it. at that point I was in my I had I was starting my master's degree, so I feel like ancient. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. No. Um, <laughs> so in the work you do, have you encountered... Uh, now, the reason why we connected actually today was because you... Well, we've been connected for a while now via Twitter, but you actually gave a shout out to this very podcast just, I think, yesterday on your channel. Um, well, by the time you guys listen to this, it won't be yesterday, but when it <laughs> happened, it was yesterday. And it was so nice of you to shout out to my little podcast. I really appreciate it. And so I immediately was like, let's have you on the show to talk about sex ed and disability. Um, so I guess my first question is, do you, do you yourself identify as a disabled person? I do not. Okay. Awesome. Um, I definitely do. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> So, do in the work that you do, have you encountered um, disability a lot? Is it something that you is it, have you worked with disabled clients, people that you do workshops with? Have you done any? Is that, has that ever come across your radar so far in the year you've been kind of doing this? Um, a little bit. So I would say more often, kind of like the offline work that I do. Um doing workshops at the university that I went to the I worked kind of as like a sexual health educator for a service and the person who was in the role before me they actually started a really awesome like disability activist network at the university so I kind of learned a little bit about it through them and then I went to a disability or no not disability a sexual health conference this past weekend and we were doing like a group activity kind of to see where everybody was at, all these sex educators, how comfortable they were talking about different aspects of sexuality. And one of the questions was like, how comfortable do you feel talking about sex and disability? And in a room full of all of these sex educators from all kind of around Canada, that was one of the things where people were like, I'm not 100%. So kind of where I'm at right now is I'm like, let me learn all the things. So that's kind of the reason why I started listening to Disability After Dark, because you do such an amazing job at like making it very accessible and fun. But I just want to be better. And I want to promote stuff like your podcast so that more people can learn because there's such like such little information out there. Yeah. And I mean, I think the trouble, my my trouble with um, sex education and, and disability right now, we were actually talking about this off of uh, off of the air just a minute ago, basically when we were looking at even the curriculum around sex and disability, there's something in the Ontario, if you're listening in Canada, it's the Ontario Sex Ed Curriculum for grades 9 through 12 that came out back in 2015. And um, yeah. and so it says in that, in that in part of that curriculum, one of the students asked the teacher, hey, I have a, a physical disability and I want to learn more about about sexuality. And the teacher goes, yeah, all bodies are important. Great. And then, then they just kind of gloss over the fact that the student was saying, I have a disability. Can you provide me information? Um, and so I really think that that kind of uh, attitude around sexuality and disability is still prevalent in our education system. I remember mm-hmm. when I was in grade, when I was in beginning high school and taking sex ed, like I remember sitting there in the sex ed class, listening to the teacher talk about, you know, sperm and the egg and birth control and babies and all the typical stuff they would. And I would think to myself, at this point, I hadn't come out as queer yet. I was about a year away from doing that. But I, I remember sitting there thinking, like, where does my body come into all of this? And where, how does my disability, how will my disability interplay with this? And I was too shy and too awkward to, like, bring it up to the prof. But it was definitely yeah. something that I was like, where where am I? Yeah, like, yeah, like you're giving all this information, but there's like a clear, I don't know. You have to give people all the information. I think also what's kind of, what's kind of problematic about about 
sex ed right now is that, uh, or in the in the traditional sense, is that the profs, mm-hmm. the teachers, and the curriculum doesn't have the information. There's no, maybe they, they want, yeah. yeah, like you know, totally. maybe they want to give the students, yeah. It's very much like broad strokes, like general, like oh, like everybody should have like proper sexual health, and like here are these kind of general prompts, and it kind of gives like leaves it up for the teacher to interpret and fill in the blanks. But a lot of these teachers aren't super like educated, or like if a room of sex educators aren't super comfortable talking about sex and disability, what about this like? gym teacher not to say anything bad about like gym teachers and <laughs> yeah. like <laughs> but yeah like there's definitely like gaps in like explicit information about like how do you do things like how do i actually have good sex that doesn't exist in the curriculum yeah so like take me back to that conference you were at this weekend and so what was the like mm-hmm. okay so you're sitting in a room with all of these sex educators and that question is posed mm-hmm. like how comfortable do you feel talking about sex and disability and so what was the reaction like what did people what did people do so it was uh we said like a whole bunch of different things like how comfortable do you feel talking about um talking to your students about pleasure how confident do you feel talking to your students about like abortion and choice and people would like raise their hand like super high if they were really comfortable and then like low if they weren't comfortable and kind of throughout the whole process people's hands were really high and then that was the point where people's hands got like mid like mid low level they were like i don't know maybe i could feel more comfortable with this like super yeah so i mean i mean it's so unfortunate because what that says to me as you know i don't consider myself technically a sex educator and that's not my title but i guess in some respects I am. What that says to me is like a sex educator who does, who works in queerness and disability is like, mm-hmm. what kind of information can I give? Could I have given this group? And also when you were in the room talking to these sex educators, can I ask, were there any sex educators that you could see with visible or who identified as having invisible disabilities there as far as you knew? Yeah. Um. So, Yes, there were a couple people, and I wish I could give you their names, but I want to be able to remember them exactly correctly. Um, Yeah, there were a couple of people there, but the presenters didn't disclose physical or, like, invisible disabilities, and they were talking more broadly about, like, how to manage, like, a classroom and just, like, really the basics of like how to how to elevate your sex ed beyond like the like reproductive sex yeah because that's kind of all that's kind of all we learn in in like grade nine health class or like you know Mm -hmm. depending on where on where on where you're listening like sophomore high school health class is like let's just talk about how not to have a kid and then that's yeah. basically it. Like that's that's the extent that you get. Um, and I remember, like I, I remember sitting in there, like I was saying, in the in the in the room of students, thinking none of this applies to me. Like I'm, first of all, and I, I I knew I was queer, but I hadn't given it a name yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew I was disabled, and I thought, well, none of this, like this, doesn't represent my experience at all. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what you, no, and like. Even, like, with the new updated curriculum, it's a apparently a huge step in, like, controversy in just, like, naming the fact that people have different sexual orientations and, like, gender identities. Like, there's still, like, so much that should be discussed in the curriculum. And, like, it's awesome that there are people on YouTube talking about, um, like... LGBTQ stuff and like how to have good sex as a trans person as a lesbian but yeah there's still so many gaps like in high school sex ed with that and I think you know I think high school sex ed should be using platforms like YouTube and like your channel to show students like this is a young person talking about the stuff that that you need to know as a young person so they're not it's not being taught to them from some older person who who they may or may not mm-hmm. respect 
it's being tied to them by one of their peers. And I think that would be really, really cool. I, I also don't see a lot of, I was looking at not only your channel, but other channels before having this interview with you. Um, and I noticed that there weren't a lot of sex education channels run by individuals with disabilities. Um, at least not on YouTube. I know there's a, there, I know there's some bloggers who do it. And I know there's some like podcasters who also dabble in that discussion, but there's not a lot of, like I would love to see somebody with a dis visible disability or invisible disability having a channel where all they talk about is sex ed and disability. Totally. Yeah. I was thinking about that too. Cause I know there are people who talk about, um, like talk about their disability on YouTube or talk about like activism things, but I can't, like, I can't think of a YouTube, like if they've made any videos about sex and disability, but yeah, funny story. Last summer when I was considering like making a YouTube channel, I actually emailed a whole bunch of people in the TDSB being like, hi, I'm a young person. I have this and this experience teaching sex ed. Do you want to come into your classrooms? And it was with like, maybe it was two years ago with the new curriculum coming out. And either yeah. they didn't reply to me or they were like, no, no, we don't need you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> wow. All of them said no. Did you, did you at least get like one or two bites? Of people that were like, sure. No, 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 no. Not one person said. So it's. Wow. Yeah. So it's super interesting. I mean, yeah, I strongly believe that like, yeah, people like me and other people making YouTube videos that are, yeah, by young people, they are super educated in the topic. I think it would be such an asset to the classroom if people used YouTube videos, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I just think that the traditional, um, the traditional way of looking at sex ed is just so outdated, and it's just not how people are, a consuming information, and b, oh, totally. it's it's just not accessible to a lot of people with disabilities. Like, it's much more easy for mm -hmm. me to go on YouTube and click a couple buttons on my computer than it is for me to like physically hold the textbook and do all that stuff. So I think. I think this new medium could definitely change things in terms of accessibility and disability yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And like, yeah, people in like rural communities or other communities where like, cause like from coming from Toronto, like you would think that if there's going to be um, like up to date, inclusive, like sex education initiative, it would be here. So like, even if you go to like other places that are more conservative, you can get yeah your sex education from YouTube, and I just think that and I just think that as a disabled person who may not be and also if you're a young disabled person who can't navigate the school system as readily as someone else could, and okay. as excessively like YouTube just works for you. Mm hmm. I just think it would. Andrew, be, I think you I should just, come on my channel. I was just gonna say. I, I was looking at your channel just before we did this, and I was like, you know, she doesn't have anything about, about disability yet. And I was like, I'm going to ask her later. But I you just said it on the air, so I can definitely – I'll say, yes, I will totally come on your channel. Um, but I want to I want to move to more of disability stuff because it is Disability After Dark. So you, as a sex educator, do you have any questions about – sex and disability as a sex educator that you want me to kind of walk you through to give you a better, mm -hmm. like to give you a better kind of groundwork for if you were to do to encounter somebody with a disability who needs, who wanted your help. Mm -hmm. um, hmm. That is a good question. Hmm. I feel like, from, like, listening to the podcast and stuff, I feel like your, like, communication skills and, like, how how to, like, negotiate and, like, have that conversation um, and approach someone, I feel like those skills are, like, super important and, like, should definitely be taught in, like, sex ed. So, like, hmm. The irony, of, to... the irony of that <laughs> is that I can talk about those skills on a podcast but then if I was actually in the real situation, mm -hmm. I would be like, oh, how do I, what do I? <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I feel that so much. 
the sex educator's guilt, man, when you're like, I tell everybody how to talk to their partners, and here I am. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what happens to me is that I can talk a good game and I suggest things that I think disabled people should do and like that I think we should all be doing, and then the moment of mm-hmm. truth will happen for me, and I'll be like, oh, I didn't say what I should have said. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it oh, definitely I totally some feel sex that, but... guilt there. <laughs> okay, so let's, let's, so if we were, we were high school teachers giving better sex ed, and there's, like, like a 16-year-old kid and, or, like, student, and they have a crush on another kid in the class who's in a wheelchair, and they want to, like, ask them out on a date. And then, like, kind of maybe like a Netflix and chill thing. How would you do? What would be your tips for them? Okay, well, well, I mean, I think that when you're 16 and you're already super awkward, it's hard to make it like less awkward. But I don't think that, like, I don't think now, me as a 33 year old person, I would definitely (laughs) say something like, hey, wanna come over and touch my joystick, no, 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 like that, that's, I would just do that because it's funny now, but I definitely wouldn't have done that Mm -hmm. at 16, I I would have been a lot less, like, weird about it, but I think (laughs) if you're a 16-year-old student and you have a crush on the disabled student in a wheelchair who's also 16, just, Mm -hmm. like, just acknowledge the fact that they have a disability, not crazy acknowledge, but just say, like, hey, so I see you have a disability. I'm kind of want to get to know you, and I think you're kind of cute. But can we? Can I? Can you tell me more about how your disability works for you? Like, make it personal for the student, so you're not asking them about. You're not asking them about like. So like, what happened to you? Just ask them, kind of what, how their disability would work for them. Also taking into account that you're 16 and everything you say will be super awkward anyway. So, like, just. I think just start a conversation. I think when when you're 16 and you're disabled, I remember being 16 and disabled and just being the most awkward kid, hoping that somebody would talk to me without me having to do the talking. So I think the fact that somebody was talking to me was like <laughs> a big deal. So I think that if okay. you're 16 and wanting to broach that, like say, hey, do you want to like go out and do this thing? And then I would have been like, sure, totally. So like hopefully the the person in question would also be like, sure, but, but like, I just think you have to acknowledge the fact at a very young age that the person is disabled and that's okay. Cause I think we spend a lot of our adolescence and a lot of our youth as disabled people trying to, um, trying to be not disabled. When I was younger, I really, I loved my disability. I didn't No, that's not true. I didn't love it, but I accepted that it was there at 16 um, yeah. And I remember trying so many times to not be, to like hide my disability. And I think we need to teach disabled youth to um, really embrace their disability for what it is and to be afraid of it and to be angry mm-hmm. with it and to be scared. All those emotions are okay. But in terms of dating and sexuality, that's mm-hmm. going to, it's going to be a part of it. And, and we need to start sharing that reality with the youth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause definitely like, yeah, once you get into a sexual situation, it's not really something that you can pretend isn't there. And if you kind of like go with that and like with an open mind and like talk about it, it's going to be so much more. E- it's going to be so much easier. So much easier. Um, I just wish that there was more content. Like I love, I love the podcast that I run. I love this podcast. It's great. But I, I really mm-hmm. am excited to see more content being being brought out around disability, especially around different intersections of disability. So things like disability Mm -hmm. and race, things like disability Mm -hmm. and queerness, things like disability and being trans. I can't wait for those intersections Mm -hmm. to start being part of the way we look at sex education. Totally. And like, that's kind of the wonder of like YouTube and social media and like podcast too is that like it kind of gives a voice to anybody who has like a camera or something so that you can like hear everybody's stories and like get to see all those intersections and hopefully like people watching can like find someone who they identify with and see that they're 
like rocking it like with their in their sex life with their disability and that can empower them yeah or not even i think also like kids need to see that and i think the trouble with um a lot of disability related stuff on youtube is that it always tries to be inspiring and i think that's a problem I think if we're going to talk about sex and disability, honestly, and what I try to do with this podcast is I try to be really honest and sometimes disability and sexuality sucks really hard. I don't like it. It's horrible. I wish that it wasn't happening. I wish that it wasn't really occurring. You know, it's not, it's not like my sex shouldn't inspire you. Like having sex with me doesn't make you a savior. Like sometimes my body does things that I don't really want it to do around sex and disability. And then I don't have a choice. So like, I don't put it out there in the hopes of inspiring somebody to like change the way they view sex, but I want to show disabled youth Mm -hmm. who listen or just disabled people who are coming to terms with their own sexuality, that sex and disability is not a cakewalk. So when people say to me like, yeah, my disability is really hard sometimes. I don't immediately turn around and go, oh, don't worry, everything's going to be great. I go, yeah, tell me tell me that story. That's the story that I want to hear. Wow, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's super legit. Like, I think people yeah, need to hear no, that's... The, the tough stuff, you know, and the stuff that isn't, that isn't warm and fuzzy. And it's like, have you had a chance to look at – have you ever read the book or skimmed through the book, The Ultimate Guide to Sex and Disability? I've been meaning to. I've been meaning to so hard. I think, yeah, at at the at the conference, Kirsten Schultz was there, and she, like, recommended it. I think she, like, had the book, and she's like, everybody, this is the Bible. I know, uh, you should read I this know book. the conference you were at. I know the one you were at that you were you were just recently at the um the Guelph Sexuality Conference, right? Yeah. 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 People at Guelph Sexuality Conference. I've been wanting to do that conference forever. So if you're listening to this right now Do it. Bring have me as a speaker, please. You should apply time. to be a speaker. I do every year and every year they say no. I love okay, you I'll just, like, there. tweet at them continuously. I love you guys over there, but please have me as a speaker. Kristen Schultz. Kristen Schultz. Sorry. Kristen Schultz. I know your name. I've had you on the podcast. You're awesome. You're the best. Chronic sex. This podcast kind of went from we have an idea to, like, just a conversation. So anybody who's listening to this one right now, we did have a template for what we were going to talk about, and we're going to get there, but we're just... We're fan. We're fanning over our favorite sex educators. Um, Oops. was Kirsten sorry, in the room? Sorry. What well, did did your thing follow her? Pardon? Did your thing follow? Did your? I thought you, your um, mic fell over. No, we're good. I think I might just be sitting in a weird position. I will get readjusted. <laughs> Awesome. Um, so we wanted to talk about kind of how far academia has yet to go in looking at um, sexuality and disability. As a sex educator, what kind of stuff do you want to see mm-hmm. when it comes to, uh, like, what should academia, 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 academia be doing when it comes to um, – sex education generally, and then I will apply it to disability. What should academia be doing generally? Um, like oh to better, goodness. to fill um, in the gaps between like what's, what they're telling us and what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, so I did like a I did a project looking at how like undergrad courses like impact people's like attitudes and like their ability to manage their sexual health and like yeah there was a lot of there were some issues like in that process where I was like ooh like 
the content of the undergrad courses. Like, some of it was kind of, like, like, shamey for some particular sexual acts. And I'm like, academia, you should be better than this. Why are you a human sexuality course shaming certain types of sex? And then I was, like, also creating, like, my questionnaire, and I was trying to, um, like, figure out how to put in, like, people's sex and gender, and my supervisors were like, why do you need to, like, have it this fancy way? And I'm like, no, no, I'm, like, trying to, like, accurately capture the diversity of, like, sex and gender. So yeah. I feel like there are some, like, awesome people doing really cool stuff to, like, like better capture like trans identities so that people can so we can like document it and then like kind of take that and look at where there's gaps in healthcare people trying to look at like we need to get more sample populations that are not just white and probably not just able-bodied and cisgender and like youth yeah like there are so many populations that don't get surveyed because it's easier to get undergraduate students but when we don't survey those populations we can't like we don't their stories don't get amplified we don't learn yeah. how to like create better sex education um create better health care so there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot, of, a lot of gaps yeah and i mean definitely there's a gap in like in like disability but especially i think in terms of like invisible disabilities, if you're somebody living with chronic pain, that's why I love chronic sex so much. And I love Kristen's work like so much because she comes at it from a very different lens than I do. And that's why like when you gave, when you gave your yeah. shout out to our show that we did, which now feels like forever ago, but um, that show <laughs> with her was just so fun to just sit and laugh and share stories around, um, sex and disability together together, but also from a completely from two completely different worlds. One of the things I think is we were talking about The Ultimate Guide to Sex and Disability, which is I, I agree, it's a great book. The trouble with that book though, I find, mm -hmm. and a lot of disability yeah. and sexuality discussions and I wanted I want your take on this as a sex educator. Don't you find that if you were yeah. if you are looking for stuff around sex and disability, the only stuff you'll find is is like answers to can you have sex and how do you have sex? Like, don't you think that as a sex educator, we need deeper discussions than just that? Oh my gosh. Yep. Absolutely. A hundred percent. My trouble yeah. with the ultimate, with the ultimate guide yeah. to sex like and disability, who would. Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just thinking about, like, when I worked in, like, the space at my university. I'm trying to think if there even were pamphlets about sex and disability. But if there were, like, that's what they would have been about. Just those, like, can you have sex? How do you have sex? Yeah, like, literally those Which, two yeah, questions. Which, yeah, it's not, like. No, no, like, those yeah, two questions not, are just. Not, not enough. Like... Definitely not enough. Um, and I just think that even, mm -hmm. even the ultimate guide to sex and disability, it, it gives you a nice like kind of overlay but it still comes at the at mm -hmm. the like, there needs to be a volume two of that book i'd love to work with and fran odette who i know who, who i know co-authored the book i would love to work on like a part two mm -hmm. that goes deeper into the emotional side of sex and disability that no one's really really ready to talk about mm -hmm. Like, I just think wow. it needs to so be... So, does that... Like, the book, does the book not talk about that at all? It does, but from a very, from a very, I think, primary lens in that it's like, if, you, if, it's, if, if you're somebody who is just learning about their sexuality and learning about their disability and learning about the two things together, then this is a great book for you. But if you've been, if you've been fucking people for years and, like, this is what you've been doing and you know your body very well... And you want something a little bit deeper than hmm. here's your body parts and here's how your body parts work together with this and here's how your emotions can work and he like they they really do a really good job of laying it out initially but if you want something deeper I don't mm -hmm. think the book provides that I think 
the trouble with sex education and disability is that we're still stuck in, oh my God, you're having sex? Wow, let's be shocked by that. Yeah, the like, yeah, yeah, like the sex ed curriculum, putting in one student who says that they have a physical disability. Yeah, we're still like so far to come. Well, that, and we were talking also off the air, I was telling you that there's a part in the book where it talks about sex ed and intellectual disabilities, and it says, if you're talking to your, to your students with intellectual disabilities about sex, be sure you tell them about the risks. And I'm like, okay, that's fair. You probably should have advised them of the risks, but can you not also advise them that sex is fun? Can you mm-hmm. not also advise them that it, it, it's enjoyable and that we all want to do it? It's okay. <laughs> like, why is the first yeah, thing? Oh you, my, yeah. Why is the first thing you advise them about the risk? And that's because, kind I mean, of that's still a, like. Like, I still, I feel like that still kind of, like, perpetuates, like, stereotypes about people with disabilities and sex, if that's the first thing you're talking about. And, like, even if you are recognizing that they're sexual, you're not talking about pleasure. Yeah. And especially for somebody with an intellectual disability who may not be able to process, you know, exactly what's being told to them. So if you tell them, Right off the bat, there. I'm not saying that everybody. I should preface that by saying I'm not. I'm not suggesting that everybody with an intellectual disability can't process. I'm saying that, on the off chance you're speaking with somebody who who has processing and different learning abilities, and the first thing you tell them is risk, they're never going to get to pleasure because they're going to be too afraid to explore. Yeah. I certainly would be if you, if the very first thing you showed me about my sex life was, hey, Andrew, there's a risk here, I'd be like, oh, okay, I guess I'm never doing that. Like, I remember when I actually, to be honest, when I was younger, I remember thinking to myself, like, I'm never going to have sex. I just won't do it. I'm just not going to ever because then I'll never get an STD and I'll never, like, nothing will ever happen to me and I'll be just fine. And I told myself that for a very long, for not a long time, but for a good, from like 14 to 17, I was like, no, never going to, not going to worry about it. Um because I don't want to get an STD. And I I connected it to this, like, idea that if I didn't have sex, I would somehow be good. And if I did have sex, I'd somehow be bad. But it was, like, compounded by the fact that I was disabled. And so I was feeding myself this really kind of damaging idea about I'm never going to do it because that way I'll be safe. And it just, that's not how, that's... I mean, that may have only been my experience, but I think it was, was partly because of my disability and that I had to be safe so that I didn't get a disease and so that I didn't get, you know, that I wasn't a bad disabled person having sex. But now it's like, now that I'm older and I, I have the education to to understand better, like, I, I want to have sex all the time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And I feel like that's an issue with, like, the sex education system in general, right? How it's so, like, risk up front, like, all the images of, like, the STIs that you're going to get. And, yeah, that, like, totally sets up, like, a dichotomy of, like, aligning sexuality with, like, all of these, like, scary, like, risk things. When it's not like that. Or it doesn't have to be if you have the education and are doing it with consent and individuals. Or if you're willing to, if you, even if you don't have all of the education, to at least ask first. Like, ask yeah. the questions about totally. where can I get the education. Like, that's why I think it's so kind of flabbergasting to mm-hmm. go back to the to the grade nine, to the student in the, in the curriculum who was like, tell me about my body. And they were, you know, they had the, they had the vulnerability enough to ask. And the prof was like, Everybody is great. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm asking you, prof. I'm asking you for much more <laughs> specific info. Like that doesn't help anybody. Um, yeah, not yeah. Like resources would be like super helpful, even if like the teacher didn't have like the specific like education. Yeah. Send and people, I also think send people like, to get more information, and if that information existed. 
Yeah, and I mean, it does exist. I just think we need to elevate people with disabilities in the disabled community, especially individuals living with intellectual disabilities, because I think that, much like how, I don't know if you've seen the hashtag mm-hmm. disability too white, um, that was a hashtag that was started by uh, oh. a disability activist named Vilisa Thompson. So she started this hashtag disability mm-hmm. too white, um, which I love. Because it basically talks about how everything related to disability is taught to you by a by a white person or a person or a person who's not a person of color, and I think that's so true. And I think when it comes mm-hmm. to um, sex ed, even with what I do, I can I can admit that my privilege. I'm a white cisgendered disabled man, so even when I'm doing the podcast, doing the stuff, I'm aware that my experience is vastly different than somebody who is a person of color or a different level of, of disability. And I think we need to, um, we need to allow space for people with intellectual disabilities to come on like a channel like yours on what's my body doing or even disability after dark and come and talk to me about your experience. Come and talk to us about your experience. Um, because I think that will change the way we look at sex mm-hmm. and disability completely. Yeah, totally. Because, yeah, there's, like, there's complexities to everybody's experience. And, like, as much as you can advocate for yours, like, somebody coming on, like, with a different perspective is going to provide well, something right. different. So, Eva, I want to talk to you about, I want to ask you, as a sex educator, what are your burning questions that you have? Because you were, were talking earlier about um, kind of how you went to that conference and you they asked around sex and disability and nobody knew what to do and their hands kind of were like <laughs> shyly going up and not really moving and people were scared. So what, first of all, why do you think people were so scared? And secondly, how can I allevi- alleviate these fears for you as a sex educator? And what, what questions can I answer for you? Yeah. Um, I think people are scared because, well, one, because like there's not, a, there's not as much like, education and training around sex and disability um and also i think people are really afraid to say something wrong um yeah that's that's kind of like that's kind of like just disability 101 is i don't want to say anything wrong yeah um and guess what you're gonna you're gonna you're definitely gonna say something wrong to somebody no matter what you do so i say put your foot in your mouth it's okay Mm mm-hmm so what do you do if you put your foot in your mouth? How do you take it out gracefully? You don't. You swallow your leg and yeah. you just you, – you, it's much like how we how we sometimes misgender non-binary or trans-identified individuals. You apologize once and you move on and you, you work your hardest not to do it again. Awesome. Like, but I don't think it makes sense or is fair for us to – keep harping on the point apologize yeah. one time don't bring it up again because the more you apologize you keep re-triggering the fact that you said an ableist thing or the fact that you were insensitive and you keep forcing the disabled person to relive the fact that you did this and i don't want to relive it i want to move on and get to know you and it's like sometimes i will also make mistakes and mm-hmm. i don't want to also relive that i keep making a mistake that is, thank you. That's super good, super good things that I want to talk so about on my channel, and that we should talk about. Yeah, we definitely will. We we've just discovered <laughs> that we live pretty close to each other, so I'm gonna be on her YouTube channel soon. Yay! Yes. But do you have any like burning sex questions that you're like, I want to know this, and I don't know, and like the research isn't there, and so is there anything that I can illuminate for you, or we can? talk about together and illuminate for each other yeah okay i'll give i'll give a couple um because i'm trying to think because when i like yeah i'm trying to think about like what type of information do i want to give my audience of young 20-somethings um i wonder about about sex toys i'm super curious about sex toys are there like specific sex toys or different sex toys or are they helpful? Yes. 
Um, there are some sex toys that are geared toward disability, but that it's yeah. really tough because every disability, even people yeah. with the same type of disability, it varies, right? With every body, it varies. So I've used sex toys and I've tried sex toys geared toward disability, but I haven't found a lot of success because I have a level of disability that means that I can't, I can't access the toy myself. So I need mm-hmm. somebody to assist me. And if I don't have a partner that, that is assisting me with this, I have to rely on my care staff, which mm-hmm. is a whole other awkward conversation that is really hard to, to broach. So, and I, I actually just, just got reached out to by somebody in the States this past week who wants to open up a store around sex and disability toys. So we're going to talk and I'm going to help them um, – I'm going to help them kind of look at options and do stuff around that. That's really cool, though. But, yeah, so so mixed bag. Like, it's there are goods and goods and bads to it. Yeah, I mean, but, I mean, I, I, I don't really think there are enough toys geared to disability. And, and the reason why there isn't is because how do you – you're not going to please everybody, so how do you make – and every disability is so there's so many variations on the disability. How are you going to make it really truly accessible to the whole group? Yeah, and how? Yeah, if you're going to make it like so tailored, then you're going to have so many of them versus, and then yeah, in terms of like selling them, I guess it would be hard. Yeah, and then like also, I mean, there should totally be a market for it. I think yeah. if anybody's listening who who wants to <laughs> do that, like contact me and we'll do stuff together. But like, how do you, at the end of the day, it's all about profit and loss, right? So like, how do you make, how will you make money off of this if you if you have to make it so niche? Yeah. Do you have any other Correct. burning sexy questions? Burning sexy questions? Um, that should totally be a song. Let's let's do it. Let's hit it up. I need a let's, I need proper music for what's my body doing. So let's be let's let's have it be burning sexy body questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, that sounds maybe a little bit too much like STIs, but I mean yeah, it does. Those are it does. It part does. of just a little bit, just sort of a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So you were saying you were talking about how like you want the ultimate guide to like disability the book to talk more about emotions. If I'm like talking or like answering questions on my Tumblr, like making a video about sex and disability, are there any like like tips that I can give people about like I don't know like what emotions to anticipate if they're like having their sexual debut and they have a disability or like places they can go to like chat about emotions that they might be having uh yeah they can anticipate like so if, if so is the person you're talking to the able-bodied partner of somebody with a disability oh able-bodied dis- person with a disability both okay i think if we're talking about both mm-hmm. the emotion that you that both parties should be ready for is a lot of fear I, every time I have sex, I am scared, terrified of the realities of sex and disability every single time because typically it's not with the same partner. It's with a different partner because my sexual experiences happen every six, seven, eight months. So it's not like I'm having sex every two weeks or three weeks. It's every every eight months. So when I'm lucky enough to have that experience, it's with a new partner and it's scary all the time. It's never... I never feel quite comfortable. So there's a lot of fear there. And I think the the non-disabled partner will also have a lot of fear because they won't quite know how to navigate that or what to do or how to, how to, you know, do any of that. So I think that the biggest emotion people need to be ready for is fear. Um, the fear of, will I be any good at this? What if, what if they reject me? What if they don't ever come back? What if, and then, the able-bodied person is probably having fear around, like, what if I break them? What if they hurt them? What if... Um, but I think if we can acknowledge the fact that we're both scared before the sex, it will make mm-hmm. it a lot more enjoyable and we can kind of take a breather and relax. That's awesome. Okay, those are 
good good tips. So there's yeah, there's fear, fear before, and then yeah. Okay, I'm and trying to fear think. A, fear yeah. after too, definitely. There's fear afterwards as well. I think one of the things that sex educators need to do, I think that. Um, I think that sex educators like yourself, and this is why I'm so glad we're kind of teaming up for a couple of projects, is because you have a lot of knowledge that I that I may or may not have, um, and I have lived experience that you don't have. So I think a lot of sex educators who want to talk about sex and disability who are not disabled and who want to bring it up as part of their curriculum need to start looking for individuals like myself and others who do the work and saying, let me bring somebody like Andrew into the classroom for this this session or let me hire him for an hour to do a talk or to help me do my stuff so we can work together because to be fair i don't know everything and i don't i'm not an mm-hmm. expert in the field in, in any way and i don't pretend mm-hmm. to be and i, I kind of like working with somebody on stuff because then i don't feel like i have to be an expert i can just kind of be there with them and it's okay yeah no i totally agree i totally agree because you get yeah, kind of a more, yeah, the more, like, formal sex educatory kind of parts and lube and all this stuff. But, yeah, like, everything you have to say is super, super important to the conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I have a question for you. Do you have any personal experience with somebody with a disability? I do not. We have to change that. I know, genuinely. I'm back on the market post breakup. Oh, so There's hey, listen. So many possibilities. All my sexy individuals with disabilities. Uh, you should, you Please hit I me mean, up. Yeah, I can. I yeah, but I also think you know it would be really cool if you and I kind of went on a friend date around like yeah. around kind of navigating going on a first date with somebody with a disability where there's no pressure because. Because, like, then we can just go as friends, but I can show you kind of how, mm-hmm. and I'm totally just saying this off the fly and just bringing this up as an idea, to go with you, mm-hmm. maybe for your channel, on a pretend date to see how somebody with a disability would navigate dating and navigate that part of it that's a little bit scary so that, that the sex educator like mm-hmm. you would have an idea. Like, hey, I went on this mock date with my friend and I discovered, wow, it's really, there's a lot of stuff I didn't consider. Mm-hmm. I I totally love that idea. That was something else I was going to ask about, like, yeah, like, the dating process. Like, if you, like, match with someone on Tinder who has a disability, like, how do you, like, navigate, like, setting up a first date? Is there anything, like, in particular that you need to, like, look for or, like, make sure that the other person's all comfortable? I think you need to, the first thing, if, if they disclose they have a disability and they've made clear they're a disabled person, the first thing you need to do is to to say to them like, "Hey, so what are your access needs for this, and what can I?" And I think we all need to start asking um, in, yeah. around sexuality, not just because, not just if you're disabled. I think mm-hmm. that the disability discourse allows for us to ask really cool questions like, "Hey, what are your access needs around this?" Which means like, "What can we do for you? How do we how do we accommodate you? How can we accommodate mm-hmm. you?" And there's somebody at the um, Sherburne Health Center who runs Soy, um, John Caffrey is a friend of mine, and I've I've done lectures for them over there, um, and so they, the when they whenever they run their sessions with the youth, the first thing they say is, does anybody have any access needs for tonight? And I think in terms of dates, that's a great question to start out asking people. Hey, like, what are your access needs for tonight? And then you get an idea of like what the person really needs, and it's not awkward. I like that a lot. Yeah, I feel like those types of like like social norms, like asking people about pronouns and like asking people about access needs is like such a such a smart and easy way to like make things more inclusive for everybody. And, yeah. yeah, I mean I I love I I love the the pronoun thing. I think it's really I think it's so necessary and I think a similar thing mm-hmm. needs to be done with respect to disability, where like, mm-hmm. hey, so I see you're disabled. How would you like to be identified? Like, because some people don't like person with a disability. Some people don't like 
disabled. Some people don't mm-hmm. like cripple. Like I, I use queer cripple for my own personal, as part of my own brand. But I wouldn't put that mm-hmm. on somebody else. And I think what's yeah. cool about the sexuality movement is we're looking at ways to self-identify with people that are respectful of what they want. And I think disabled people need to be given the same respect and being asked, like, how do you want me to, how do you, how are you choosing to identify as a disabled person today? Like, what is your personal identifier? Totally. I feel like kind of with sex education in general, we're kind of taught that like, you know, it's just sex. Like we should just figure it out and like not ask questions, but like the more we open up the dialogue to ask people like what what sexual act do you want to do like how do you like to be touched how do you like to be called like that makes sex and just like interactions and being with other people so much more like respectful and like such a better time and again like we're talking about this but i can promise you the next time i have sex everything we just talked about will go out of my head and i won't it's not something yeah. that i would actively think about so i also think we need to find ways to actively think about especially as as somebody who's marginalized like me when i have sex with somebody and i've said i mentioned this before i always put it in the context of like i'm doing a porn or i'm um like i'm in this movie context of like myself which is not true at all but it would be really nice to to kind of like break all that down and find a way to remember yourself to remember that you should be able to ask like your partner how they want to be touched but we don't do that enough in sex culture because to stop the sex is not sexy yeah when that's like the furthest from the truth because when you can like ask for what you really need or what you really want then people have a better time totally i completely agree um do you have any last final burning questions for me oh my goodness i think i think that's it i think that was my last burning question well, that's awesome. I'm glad. I hope that my I hope that this little primer gave you um yeah. gave you something to go on today, Eva. And I'm excited that we can collaborate. And what basically what this tells me too, also with our with this today is that we there's so much more to come. Like even even with the questions that that I answered for you today, like after we get off the air, I'm gonna think of five other questions that I should have answered for you there's so much more we have yet to do and i'm excited that we that people like you are out there willing to and the fact that you also as a non what i i gotta say the fact that you also as a non-disabled person um listened to my podcast and was willing to kind of use that as a anchor for yourself that's a big deal so i really appreciate it well thank you well thank you for making it and doing awesome stuff and I'm excited to I'm excited that you're listening and to eventually have my face on video with you one day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so yeah. Eva. Yeah. Of what's my body doing? I want to thank you for coming <laughs> on to the show. Um, I also like that you're you only have one name, kind of like share. It's sort of awesome. Um, oh my goodness. I, I love that I like genuinely never thought about that. So <laughs> you should you should it should be part of your new brand. It should be part of your new brand for sure. Um but I wanna thank you so much for the conversation today. It was fun. It went from having a very clear and and like concrete idea to just a kind of goofy, enjoyable, fun conversation with important bits that like put in there. But I love those conversations. So it was so fun and I'm so proud of the work you do and thank you for coming on. Thank you. Hopefully, yeah, everybody, I can send as many people as I can over to your podcast and we, when we make our video so everybody can listen and learn more about sex and disability. Totally. Please do, Eva, and we'll, I'll talk to you very soon. Yes. Bye. Bye. The most salient part of that interview for me was when Eva said she was in a room at that conference with a bunch of sex educators and they asked the sex educators how comfortable they were speaking on sex and disability and as she mentioned, not a lot of people put up their hands which means that the sex educators have a lot of work they need to do 
to be comfortable even sharing education around sexuality and disability. And I think we need to look at our curriculums to um, make them more accessible and look at our our sex educators to to find ways to make them intersectional, especially around disability. And what, one of the things that I said during the interview was that they need to hire people with disabilities alongside the sex educators to give the lived experience piece. And I think if you really want to make sex education around disability accessible, you need to hire individuals living with, a ver- with varying degrees, levels, types of disabilities to talk about their experiences, not so much from a sexual education lens, but from an everyday lived experience lens. And when I give talks around sex and disability, I don't come there as a sex educator. My title, as you all know, is Disability Awareness Consultant, not Sex Educator. So I think we really need to find ways to um, to include people with disabilities in this spectrum and to make sexual education something that is accessible to this community and shares in their experiences wholly so that when they look for information, they can have it. And what I liked about talking with Eva was that she didn't have a lot of answers and she said, you know, why don't you come on my channel and we can um, we can talk about it together. That kind of collaboration needs to happen way more. We need to have the non-disabled community and the disabled community of educators come together to bridge this gap and to make this information fully, truly accessible to a wide branch of audiences so that this information can be disseminated properly. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, read my blogs or book me to bring disability to you, head over to www.andrewgerza.com. Also, if you're listening to this in iTunes, please rate and review us so more people can find the show. Hey guys, just a brief production note. Disability After Dark will now be going live every other Monday, every two weeks on Monday at 5 a.m. Eastern Time. So be sure to uh, subscribe to the channel and be ready for that. But know that we'll be moving away from a once a week format just for the next little bit. I'm going to see how I feel about it because producing a weekly episode is a lot of work and I'd like to dedicate more time to curating guests, getting some more interviews, and all that kind of stuff, and doing research, more research for the episodes that I produce. So I'm going to produce it every other week, every other Monday at 5 a.m. Disability After Dark will go live on all podcast platforms and andrewgerza.com. Thanks, guys. Bye. Copyright Notice. This program was created and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations. Any and all materials, including graphics, Music and audio recordings are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission.